All right, everybody, welcome to your March 2nd edition of Cascadian Views, our first show of March. We've got everybody here, Chris, JJ, Dan. Howdy. What's up? Hey. It, uh, it got cold here this week. Um, really, really cold, which meant I didn't have to leave my house, and I watched the Cohen testimony all day. All day. <laughs> That's rough, man. I watched the entire thing. Um, it was fantastic. It's our lead story um, this week for what I think should be obvious reasons. It was probably the biggest news event of the year so far. I know the year's kind of young. Um, he said a lot of things. He started off with a splash. Um, his already written opening statement, you submit those ahead of time, uh, called Trump a racist and a liar and a con man. Um, it went straight for the gut, really. Uh, and I think was intended to make a splash. I mean, though, also nothing that anybody of import hasn't already said and isn't also public record and to at least half of the people in this country is already an undisputable fact. Yeah. Or, you know, 75% of the country probably because it's really just like the 25% of voting Republicans that are still loyalists. And the entire Republican delegate from Congress, as we look by the hearings. Yeah. Wow. Man, that was the best part for me. It's just like, it's just like that whole hearing should be a clip reel of opposition ads for the next two decades. Who wants to have a career? Not a fucking schlub that sat on that panel on the GOP side. <laughs> There, there is some background information on their performance there. Um, they have talked to reporters off the record, so not giving names, but um, they, they said that the president's behavior was indefensible, so why even bother trying to defend it and just attack Cohen? <laughs> not, I followed not, the first half. I'm not sure how you get to the second from the first. Well, you, you have to <laughs> do I something do appreciate to... appreciate yeah. honesty. <laughs> You have to do something to, to fight back, and when you can't defend the guy being attacked, you attack the guy doing the attacking. Right. I, I guess mean, what I'm saying is, do you have to do something to fight back? I was, right? Like, this is supposed to be fucking Congress. Those are elementary playground rules. Like, well, I can't hit him in front of the teacher, so na 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 na, uh, your mom sucks. That's, that's pretty much how playground fights work out. Have you been to America in 2019? Yeah, I know. I'm just still hoping for a higher class of... Uh, a higher everything. class of moron? <laughs> of everything, actually. I was going to be specific, but I don't have to be because it's 2019. I just want better things in general <laughs> all across the board. I mean, at some point, if, if, if the answer is, you've just told me the president committed half a dozen or indeed a dozen felonies, hmm, I want to know more about that. <laughs> Yeah, um, he laid out crimes that had been committed uh, explicitly, um, identifying them. He brought receipts. He, he brought copies of checks that were part of the repayment of the, uh, the hush money that was done before the election. He detailed fraudulent schemes to ob obtain loans from banks that the president uh, had engaged in. And he included crimes that the president had committed while in office. In, in paying back uh, the hush money while he was president of the United States of America, uh, committing campaign 
finance violations plus whatever else you want to call that. Yeah, I yeah, I got to yeah. say I'm I'm really looking forward to John Oliver's episode tomorrow because I feel like stupid Watergate isn't is underselling it at this point. Like I we've really jumped the Watergate shark now. Like we have that one post, it's like 14 felonies. Like how many felonies were was Nixon involved in? Does anybody recall? Oh, it it was dozens. It, it was Watergate. Do, it was, was definitely massive. dozens. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Can't, I mean, can't undersell no, I it, even though yeah. Fair, but even then, like how many of these individual 14 counts are also expandable into multiple other counts? It, there was so. something Dan said a couple of years ago, three or four years ago now, that have always stuck with me, that Trump's business empire won't survive first contact with the legal system. Right. Mm -hmm. he, he's he's kept it hidden for so long, kind of kept, I mean, not low profile, but uh, I mean, our legal system's pretty crappy about pursuing white collar crime in general, unless yeah. someone makes themselves a target. And becoming president of the United States is a good thing to make yourself a target. Uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, essentially, the only white-collar criminals that ever get caught are people who have become political problems for somebody else. Otherwise, it doesn't really happen here. Your victims have to be, um, at least one of your victims, has to be a person of means to get the attention of the yeah. system. Not, not necessarily through any corrupt intent of the legal system. It's institutional at this point. Like, you just, you can't raise enough of us without money. And if you can't raise enough of a fuss, nobody's going to pay attention. Yeah. And uh, white collar crime takes a very, very long time to investigate uh, because there are so many legal loopholes that uh, run parallel to the way white collar crime works. So there are a lot of things that are felonies that uh at a certain part of the investigation look just like normal legal things which makes these sorts of manners difficult to parse out uh <laughs> without this kind of inside look that cohen is given or or normal business practices yes and cohen also uh seemed to imply that there is a separate criminal investigation of the president being run through the Southern District of New York, which I, I think everybody has kind of suspected. They've at least been hunting around his orbit. They've uh, filed charges against associates of his and whatnot. Um, but Cohen confirmed a entirely separate criminal investigation into Trump himself through the Southern District of New York. And that uh, raised some hackles because it also coincided with reports that president's team is looking at re-election as mostly a way to prevent him from being indicted. <laughs> they, they think that the best a, campaign slogan ever. Yeah, that <laughs> they, they think there's a, a campaign to indict the president as soon as he leaves office and the only way to forestall this like criminal investigation crashing down is re-election. Keep me out of the pokey, 2024. <laughs> <laughs> Now, under questioning from some of the freshman reps, uh, notably Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was amazing at this. She approached this like a prosecutor, um, which was a, a basically a, a meme for the day, but is true nonetheless. Um, she got Cohen to give up names of people who would have other 
more complete information about each of these crimes that he's alleging the president committed, uh, which gives the committee uh, a handy little witness list and probable cause to hand out subpoenas to those people, um, and they have started to do so. Um, there's going to be testimony from various Trump organization officials and apparently, possibly Sean Hannity as well. Oh boy. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's going to be beautiful. Yeah, um, they also got Cohen to lay out the case for uh, the need for Congress to see Trump's tax returns through detailing exactly how they would prove what charges that he has alleged in his testimony. Uh, basically just doing all the legal legwork that you need to, to show cause to get a subpoena. There was one name that came up that was uh, the subject of a lot of jokes, which is uh, Matt Calamari. Mm -hmm. um, Seriously, the fakest ass name in the world. It's real. It's his goddamn real name. I, that's <laughs> what I hear, but I stick with uh, every late night comedian that has gotten a piece of that. Uh, that is the most comically stereotypical New Jersey mafia name ever. Yeah, well, Calamaria, uh, excuse me, Calamaria was really dragged through the sauce. Um, yeah, you almost made it a real name there for a second. <laughs> yeah. Good pun, though. Sorry, I didn't want to overwrite that one. That one was stolen. Not my original work, I want to be clear. Um, but yeah, he, he really was rung through the ringer by, by Cohen. Uh, he's one of the people who's going to be uh, joining Congress, whether they liked it or not. Um, he's, he's, I guess, the head of finances or something for the Trump organization? Is somebody able to correct me on that? I think it's Russellberg who's the CFO. Right. Oh, he's the role? chief what operating this? officer. He's yeah, the okay. COO. All right. And he's formerly a bodyguard for Trump, which is you know, <sighs> not really dispelling the mafia uh, you know, feel about the whole deal. Uh, now, one of the things I wanted to talk about here, and I'm glad we have Dan involved for the, you know, legal expertise, since I am sure. not even remotely qualified to talk on the topic. Cohen seems to be alleging a conspiracy by the Trump Organization to do all this at Trump's behest. Um, now, I, I know fraud and all that carries criminal sentences, but can they, like actually get at the Trump Organization people for real money. I know corporations are usually supposed to kind of shield that in their, their activities and that you need special ability to, to get at the people for crimes committed by the business, basically. Right. And a lot of this business, the, uh, the purchasing of one particularly embarrassing example of painting of Trump and then giving it to Trump and he paid for the money out of his charity, um, that seems to me to be using the business for a criminal enterprise, which means they can go after the assets of the, the people who run it. Yeah. Well, fraud is basically the number one example of uh, things that can allow uh, generally shareholders, but other people who've been the victims of the fraud to uh, what's called pierce the corporate veil basically taking the uh, corporate fiction uh, or the you know the legal fiction of the corporation and getting through it to the actual people behind it who are responsible for the fraudulent action. Um, this is also particularly helpful in the case of an organization like the Trump Organization, which uh, 
by all appearances, is pretty shoddy in how they put together their corporate documents, how they create themselves as an entity that's separate from Trump himself and his associates. All of that makes them, I would say, pretty good targets for breaking through the uh, limited liability that uh, you buy yourself by setting up a corporation in the first place. I, I just I love to hear that because one of my all-time favorite outcomes of this would be getting actual numbers on Trump's uh, net worth and seizing his assets. Oh yeah, would be just mm, chef's kiss. <laughs> I mean, it's starting to sound like Rico, and I know it's never Rico, but the Trump Organization. Looks like a racketeering outfit at this point. It exists solely to commit the the will and crimes of the the man at the head of it. Mm-hmm. So, Cohen uh, followed up his public testimony with several hours of secret testimony. Nothing's known about that, but he is coming back for more testimony in a couple weeks. So uh, I, I don't know what's going to come of that that we haven't already heard. He's not going to suddenly remember new things, but maybe some of the things that were talked about in the uh, secret testimony might come to light. Yeah, he spent, well, the day before the House hearings, he spent nine hours with Senate intelligence, and then he spent a day after the public hearings with the oversight with House intelligence, also totally in private. So he's talked about a lot more things probably than what we heard even. Yeah. He did say in his public testimony that he has basically nothing on Russian collusion. He, he has no knowledge of that. He, he also, did. Yeah. Um, not, not that it didn't happen. Just he said he, he wouldn't have knowledge of it, uh, which does plug a pretty big hole in the Steele dossier. Uh, he explicitly denied the Prague thing. Yeah. Uh, and he, in fact, he denied any contact with Russian agents beyond what you'd expect from a business context. Uh, Cohen, though, also, just from Trump's relationship with him, I, it seems like something they keep him out of, so I don't really know what to read in that. Like, they, they weren't fond of Cohen. Yeah, he was kind of the guy they kept on and uh, abused, it seems. And yeah. so they weren't surprised at all that he was willing to cooperate. The the puppy dog that they kick too much, but still just wants them to love him. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly the affect you get. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll see what comes of that. But that was definitely the dominating story of the week. Um, and I... I didn't even put this on the topic list, but I want to follow it up because it's important stuff before we move on to the other stuff. Uh, Roger Stone is uh, being asked to explain why a book being published in a couple days isn't a violation of his gag order. Uh, Namely, the judge is extremely upset that at no point before something like seven days before its publication did anybody mention it to her um, that Stone's legal team had ample opportunities to bring it up in the gag order hearing and any sort of after hearing bench conference they had. And she's just all sorts of in a tizzy. <laughs> she's just sore because he publicly dog whistled for her to be killed. Yeah. <laughs> is, yeah, God, what an overreaction. Jeez. <laughs> it's not going to end well for Stone. That's really all I have to say on that. <laughs> 
We'll go for it. Happen to a worse person. Uh, we'll follow that up. Uh, see, what do we want to talk? Let's go in chronological order, and we'll go Trump in Vietnam. The same time, the exact same time, Cohen was giving that testimony. Uh, Trump was becoming the first American in a very long while to be shot down in Vietnam. That is also a stolen joke, not my original. I don't want to claim credit for somebody else's. He wasn't captured, so he still likes himself. <laughs> That's the key. Um, the the summit got off to a, a very rocky start. Um, U.S. press were ordered out of their operations center by the White House uh, just a couple hours before everything was supposed to begin because I guess Kim Jong-un complained about it. But I'm not entirely sure that's true because this is the one time in my entire life I've seen North Korea embrace the press with the summit. Um just to give a backstory on this next bit, um, the White House disallowed everybody but a pool reporter at a uh, event in Washington uh, a day and a half earlier because somebody had shouted a question at the president that morning that they did not appreciate. Uh, so when Kim Jong-un and President Trump were walking to the building that housed the summit from their motorcades, the press started shouting some questions. Kim Jong-un stopped and took some questions from the American press and gave answers. Uh, quite a few, actually. He spent three or four minutes answering questions before he, he went into the summit conference. I thought that was the most adorable big dicking I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> that is some straight playground petty ass bullshit. And I loved every moment of it, even though he's a murderous dictator. I'm not at all endorsing anything about Kim Jong. Right, but I mean, Politically and tactically, it was a really, really fucking smart move. No, I mean, of course, you know, he gets to take time to talk to the press because he doesn't have to deal with them in his country. Yeah. That's just <laughs> simply not a thing. So, you know, it's a novelty to him. Uh, after the summit exploded, uh, the president blamed North Korea, saying that they wanted a lifting of all sanctions in exchange for dismantling uh, the part of their nuclear program, but calling it a part is disingenuous. It's it's really the core of their nuclear program. They do have some satellite reactors, but most of their technology is concentrated in one place. They would agree to shut it down in the presence of U.S. inspectors in exchange for eliminating all sanctions, was what the U.S. said. Uh, North Korea held a press conference. I didn't know they know how to do that. In fact, I still don't think they know how to do that. They did it while sitting behind a table, um, which is something odd. I don't see that at many press conferences. Usually there's a podium or something. Uh, they rebutted that, and they gave their own account, which mostly lined up with the American account, uh, including the inspectors from the U.S. supervising the dismantlement, but differed in that they um, only wanted relief from the civilian sanctions. They, they weren't going to complain about the military sanctions for now. Uh, that was going to wait till the full disassembly, full denuclearization. Uh, that account was more or less later confirmed by the U.S. State Department in an official release uh, where they gently corrected our president and pointed out that, yes, in fact, the offer had been elimination of... Uh, civilian sanctions, but what they considered civilian sanctions was 10 out of 12 
sanctions. Uh, and the U.S. disagreed on that, and they thought that some of the other ones were very targeted as well. God, we look like such idiots in pictures. <laughs> when in history has been has North Korea been the country telling the fucking truth? Telling the truth about what happened at the summit. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know I'm. I'm I mean, that's the sad state that we're in diplomatically, though, is that, like, he literally can do nothing. And he seems more democratically presidential than our president. Yeah, he like, talked to some press and he didn't lie about right? one topic. It, and that's how fucking low our standards are. Like, Kim Jong-un, yeah, literally, he said you know, some of the truth, but it was more than Trump was willing to say. And he didn't, you know, call anybody names on camera. So he looks way, way better by comparison. Huge, huge, sad, very sad, sad diplomatic win for North Korea, but enormous, enormous victory for them on the international stage. Last year, they got to be in the same room as a president. This year, they got to be equals. They said no to a president. Right. Things broke down and they walked away. They got to look like an equal fucking country and not a crazy-ass meth cult. Yeah. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think next year, uh, the U.S. is not in the room. I think the next year, they get to argue up to somebody else who actually matters. Like what, China or South Korea? Huh. I feel like China is kind of an easier get. I would almost say, you know, Germany feels like too far, like too big a jump. Um, I feel like, I mean, China's been there for these sort of meetings in the past a lot. Like they've generally been our go-between or other countries go-between. So China would be, I feel, less of a get. But I feel like somebody from Europe. Like, if they met from somebody from Belgium, even, like... There's a country that handles our affairs in North Korea, and I want to say it's one of the Scandinavian countries. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Norway, Norway or Finland. Yeah. I don't know why I would say not Sweden, but I feel like it's definitely not them for some reason. No. Yeah. I, I think you're right. And I... But, yeah, I... I, I think that they've done well enough kind of politically in terms of accruing political capital. I mean, it's all bullshit. It's all a house of cards for sure. But like we have Trump. I mean, we, we have like literally a rabid idiot. So he can't be allowed to handle this. Like at some point in time, like maybe it's just a rep of the EU in general. That might be, I mean, that would be fucking huge though that would be a scary big change in this whole in this whole political avenue but yeah it is sweden by the way oh it is sweden yeah totally wrong then well my god lied to me what a bastard sweden acts as a protecting power of u.s interest in north korea at the request of both countries u.s does not maintain bilateral relations huh so today i learned in sweden who goes <laughs> and says they want to talk to you. Yeah, basically, the Swedish ambassador in North Korea is responsible for American diplomatic. 
And we haven't even talked about the uh, political prisoner released in a coma part yet. Right. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, after the sun, in fact, here, Chris, you, you brought it up. You tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, right. So after the summit, Trump um, basically said, like, I think Kim didn't know anything about the whole thing. Kim wouldn't do that. He's a good guy. <laughs> yep. He told me that, and I believe him, which is, of course, one of his favorite lines. Yeah, where have we heard that before? Yeah. Uh, and that that comes at, you know, the discredit of the U.S. intelligence agencies who have determined that Kim Jong-un definitely knew about this. Um, the the warm beers were not appreciative of that and put out a, a scathing statement. Uh, and then Trump decided to deny it ever happened and call them great people, the warm beers. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Uh, as the dictatorships go, you know, you tell the people not to believe the evidence of their eyes and ears. It's it's getting scary, man. Uh, the warm beers story was a big one for me. I um, I don't know why, but I'm particularly sensitive to human rights abuses by North Korea. I think just because it's become so normalized. Uh, the the famine of the 90s and the open cannibalism in village markets and whatnot and we just accepted it and just it's it's terrible and well, it's high time north, this shit ends north korea is i mean let's not forget north korea is the place where like somebody can crash a submarine in south korea go and hack a bunch of people to death <laughs> and then everyone says let's not overreact Let's just try and keep it calm. Well, nobody wants to set them off. <laughs> it's an unpredictable and, yeah, isolated regime. Sure, yeah. It, it's the juicy uh, ideology, this military first. It, it's, like, driven in as a cult. It's all that's shown on TV. It's all that's taught at school. You sacrifice everything for for the military might of the North Korean government. And it's been that way for decades it's a cult and let's not forget that for like a decade and a half their leading foreign export was methamphetamine that's hard to do <laughs> i mean unless you're like i don't know 30 states in the u.s <laughs> fair yeah <laughs> our country's broken yeah but I mean, they they exported it as a way to raise money. They were, they were the largest international drug cartel at one point before China stopped supplying them with the the precursor. Yeah, so China yeah. had enough in like 2015 or some shit. This wasn't all that long ago. Yeah, it's a little unusual when it's the actual government that's engaging yeah. in, in directly. Yeah. They, they needed hard currency that. They raise money through restaurants. They own restaurants that they staff with basically slave labor from North Korea. And the proceeds of that uh, those restaurants are how the North Korean government gets hard currency it can spend in other places. It's a McDonald's franchise with uh, uh, nukes. They're, this is Man, how McDonald's they fund their government. McDonald's has got to be really jealous about that. Yeah. Just imagine what the power McDonald's would have if they had nukes. 
And it's not even that many. It's like 90 restaurants. The regional Taco Bell operator, Pacific Bell, has more restaurants than that. This is a joke of a country. And the fact that... Oh, my God. I, it's embarrassing how much Trump fawns over Kim Jong-un. The love story narrative, the, the little notes they exchanged. I cannot believe we are legitimizing this ridiculous shit. Like, there are many things in my life, but this is the one that's a step too far. North Korea is not a real thing. North Korea is what happens if, if Jonestown had fucking guns. And the U.S. is also what happens when Jonestown has guns now. That's also <laughs> fair, again. Oh, man. All right, we should move on, because... We're already halfway through the show, and I just ranted about North Korea for a while. But you are not wrong. Yeah. No. <laughs> Nobody's arguing there. It's just like, oh, man. Yeah, it's fucking miserable shit show. Well, from one miserable shit show to another, let's talk about CPAC. Um, that was a great segue. I don't think I got nearly enough laughs for that. <laughs> yeah, talk about Jonestown with guns. There you go. <laughs> God damn it. And then JJ one-ups me. <laughs> he wants to drink the Kool-Aid at CPAC town. Oh, boy. Uh, CPAC was a fucking comedy of errors this year. Laura Loomer was supposed to be on a panel, and then she wasn't, and then she was supposed to be press, and then she wasn't, and then she was banned from it. That all happened in the space of about 18 hours. So <laughs> from there, it just got better. Jacob Wall showed up uh, doing his you know, usual shit. Uh, Van Jones, of all people, showed up. Uh, he's really fully in on criminal justice reform, and he wanted to go there basically to thank the conservatives for getting on board with uh, criminal justice reform this year. They did pass a fairly significant package with uh, really mammoth bipartisan support. Uh, but then he went a little bit over the line. I could see saying thank you, but then he said that uh, the, the conservative movement was uh, the leader's criminal justice reform damn it okay what the yeah. fuck van jones oh yeah. man, jump the shark god damn it now he did agree There's so I much i like with about that guy's ideas but he just keeps talking and then always says something like that and you're just like oh no buddy the criminal justice i don't know that he's wrong it was the well okay i mean that's kind of fair, Chris. Uh, fuck. Well, that's not fair. Because uh, you might be right. Well, but in a bad way. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you clarified. Kind of like, uh, Nixon, you know, it's kind of like Nixon in China. The conservatives can say we're going to do conservative, we're going to do justice reform, and not tremble in their boots at the public reaction they're going to get. Yeah. Even though what they generally do is monstrous, but right. well, not, but to yeah. be fair, the Democratic track record in that in that particular avenue of policy in the past thirty years hasn't been grand either. So, yeah. and it I mean, aside seem like from it... the crack cocaine, like and a few things during the Obama administration, we haven't really done we haven't done any reform in a while. Please stop hitting me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
and and this was fairly significant reform and was paired with a judicial opinion um, that was pretty wide uh, stamping down on on civil forfeiture uh, civil asset forfeiture and such it really it feels like this issue has reached a tipping point where there was buy-in from both sides i don't think that makes them the leaders but you know Van Jones did get a lot of boos because he disagreed with them on basically everything but criminal justice reform, and he wasn't quiet about that disagreement. Uh, I, I just... That is kind of funny. I remember I, mean, I used sad. to think Van Jones was crazy. There was a time in my life, and to be fair, he was pretty crazy for a while. Uh, I, I had accepted him more as a, a serious figure through his work on CNN, and I do think he's a serious person. But then stuff like this makes me remember why I thought he was crazy, even if I no longer. He just, he steps in shit he shouldn't step in for really no reason. He, he didn't have to drop that line because they, they weren't really. They were, they were late to the table. I mean, not that the Democrats were any earlier, but the progressives sure as hell were. Uh, yeah. They've been I mean, banging on that drum for like 30 years now. Yeah. So, you know, where's our leadership trophy? Come here, Van Jones. <laughs> uh, you guys the far the... left doesn't have uh, largely televised events. Right. Somebody... We, we, uh, don't, we don't have a CPAC. Yeah. Well, so uh, I was following a, a Twitter thread with uh, Nate Silver, and he was talking about how the closest thing the progressive movement has to CPAC is probably networks like like Daily Coast's big convention that goes on with speeches and work groups. But those are mostly, they break out into work groups and activist centers, and they, they really try to accomplish things. There's not really the big main hall speech room type thing where you get these big televised things. No, we do festivals. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to... Trying to spin yeah. that into a Grateful Dead joke or a fish joke or something like that. <laughs> Need to do a political Burning Man. Yeah. Uh, President Trump was scheduled to give a 45-minute speech. It went two hours. Uh, <laughs> he he swore at Mueller. He promised to sign an executive order not allowing federal money to universities that don't respect freedom of speech, whatever the fuck that means. Uh, he sweated profusely. It was dripping off his nose at one point. The microphone got wet. It was extremely noticeable on TV. Uh, I, were the lights hot? Was he just that animated through the speech? Or is he, you know, on methamphetamine? Two hours of speaking is probably the most exercise he's had in a year. Yeah. There, There is a, a persistent... I don't know what to call it, a assumption that he's been prescribed amphetamines in the past, uh, which we know, that he might still be on them, which would explain a lot of the, the twitching and, and sniffing and whatnot that he does. Uh, that sweating is not making me doubt that. I just... I did not know that, and that is a lot of scary. That, uh, yeah, that that's been a thing for a while. Awesome. That was one of the, the like, background threads to the whole uh, scandal over his Surgeon General dude, the president's physician that he nominated to be head of the VA, excuse me, Surgeon General. 
right. was whether or not he was giving Trump amphetamines again because Trump had been prescribed amphetamines for a fairly significant period. What was he on them for? Like, you know what? I... Probably weight loss or weight control. I mean, that's kind of power his battery given his like weird and crazy idea of exercise and the amount of energy in a human body. Yeah. <laughs> that could be. ADHD. I mean, it could be all kinds of things. I'm just curious. Mm. Oh, yeah. In fact, it, it was um, Adderall. So oh. probably ADHD. I don't think it's working. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's how you negotiate that deal, man. By giving everybody your Adderall. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he finished like, up his hey, speech. Man, you by... sign this contract, I'll give you a couple pills. It'll be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking you beat him across the face until they signed the contract. That's a New York way, right? I think I saw that in some uh, law and order. That's what Cullen's for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, he finished up the speech with what has to be the most blatant lie of all time. It was actually so incredible that people in the audience laughed at it uh he said his speech ran more than twice as long and nobody left early and he said this while there were lines out the door leaving, like visible in front of him <laughs> he was looking at them when he said it that's well, the, Brock, they that's... didn't leave early they left at the time the speech was supposed to end Oh, uh, and actually, so speaking of that, <laughs> quote unquote. Speaking of that denying reality, he also dedicated a fairly significant portion of the speech, a, a couple minutes, to uh, litigating crowd sizes at his inauguration versus Obama's inauguration again. Favorite ongoing topic for him? Yeah, and how he uses different ways to count the crowd that you know produce the number he says, and yeah. <laughs> He did some real good analysis with that, with some software, and he got it figured out. Yeah. Well, uh, then there's the more terrifying run of the mill lies. Like, you know, he trotted out that Democrats are in favor of babies being born and then killing them, which probably nobody in the crowd thought was going too far or disagreed with. Yeah. Yeah. Getting somebody killed, for also sure. Also, that they want to ban cows. That was a thing. <laughs> right. I don't think anybody did anybody advocate for banning cows. I know we want to generally reduce the amount of cows. They are actually the number one source of methane in the world. Yeah, is, I think there was agriculture. There were some cheeky references to it in uh, AOC's FAQ for the Green New Deal, but yeah. yeah, it's not like something. It's not like it's in the bill. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, go for it, Dan. No, I was just yeah. That's just because I was pointing out that you know it's not. There's no legislation for it. You know, it's just yeah. It I, it featured in the version of the Green New Deal paper that Fox News got a hold of somehow. Yeah. It was not an authentic one that they kind of ran with, and I think got CNN on board with for a little bit. Well, there was where a we were going to really... like ban cars and planes and all agriculture and all of the animals and yeah. There was, to be Forced fair, a, uh, a really, really bad FAQ 
on AOC's congressional webpage, and that's the one CNN had. Uh, I don't okay. Was, I don't know if it was the same one as, as Fox had, but uh, Alexandria had put up a, a pre-release version of the fact that uh, was terrible, safe politely. That, that was definitely a learning mistake. Uh, don't publish until you're ready. But it, the one CNN had was legit. It was from her congressional website. Dead air. Okay. I should not <laughs> have just, we, we got nothing to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to take the away. It scares me. All right. Uh, Chris, tell us about Jared Gushner before we get to the local stuff. And yes, well, so this, we ran long. <laughs> the story came out during the week that basically Kelly had been sort of leading the charge inside the administration to say this guy should not have a security clearance and was eventually overruled. And people were ordered to go ahead and get him the clearance. Um, there are many reasons this could be, you know, people have reported on various possible ones. But one thing that's looking very likely is that he's been doing a lot of behind the scenes deals with Saudi Arabia about various things, including possibly nuclear technology. Okay. Like Which, what sort of nuclear technology? <laughs> what sort of nuclear technology? Well, I think helping them get uh, like nuclear reactors, but yeah, you know, the kind of things that when countries we don't like do it, we say they're obviously trying to angle to build an atomic program. Well, I, I think it's a little bit different with Saudi Arabia. They are signatories to the Non-Proliferation uh, Treaty, which I discussed a lot with India and Pakistan this week. But that does give them an unalienable right to pursue peaceful nuclear means. They, they cannot be barred from reactors and whatnot if there's no evidence that they're pursuing nuclear weapons. It also guarantees that they'll never be attacked with nuclear weapons by a nuclear weapon state so long as they remain in compliance with the non-proliferation treaty. Those are the two things you get if you're a non-nuclear state and you sign the treaty. You get the right to peaceful nuclear programs and help from countries that are nuclear capable to do so, and you, you have an absolute right not to be attacked with nuclear weapons. Yeah, and you're also part of the infrastructure of import and export controls, which I think is is one of the concerns with them, like who else they might pass on know-how or other things to. Yeah, uh, North Korea got their bomb through Pakistan, so. Right. And South Korea's, uh, you know, their number one export is terrorism and their number two is oil, so. You mean Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia, yeah. I don't so, want to know, impugn South Korea. South they don't, sorry, my bad. <laughs> totally, yeah, Saudi Arabia. So, yeah, they're, they're not great people to trust with, I don't know, anything that could be used improperly. I 100% I agree. <laughs> I just, while we can't stop them, I don't think we necessarily need to be the ones helping. So why is Mr. Oh, Kushner, why is Mr. Kushner uh, negotiating this deal? Also, the thing that gets me about the security clearance is not necessarily that Trump overrode him, although that is more or less unprecedented, at least unprecedented in the last century or so. Um, it's why was the reason he was denied in the first place? Right. What right. caught their eyes? 
that and, and we talked about the Saudi Arabia thing, but I think there has to be something more than that. Like I said, there, there's nothing wrong with that under the law that wouldn't deny a security clearance unless there's something shady going on. So, I mean, some kind of shady business dealings in general with Kushner is a good bet. And the other thing we know is that there are a lot of these kind of uh, during the campaign and pre-inauguration meetings with Israelis, Qataris, people in the Emirates, where we don't know exactly what he was trying to do, but it doesn't smell good from a distance. Oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, May 23rd, last year, Kushner's real estate startup is seeking a $100 million investment from a private fund backed by Saudi Arabia and the UAE. I remember that there, I remember he was over there for a real estate deal, but I couldn't remember the specifics. And yeah, this seems to be it. It's about the time I remembered, yeah, in, in the summer. Wasn't there also a meeting Kushner set up with the guy from Blackwater and one of the the Emirates or something? In, I, that, that sounds that familiar too. off the coast of, of India. The, the Seychelles. Seychelles, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's got something dirty going on in the Middle East. It's, it's I mean, real sneaky about it, too, which is just raises the hackles. I, I hope we see the Mueller report soon, because I would like to know. I hope we see the Mueller report at all. Yeah. I mean, it seems like some kind of nexus of personally trying to make money, but also trying to make money with people who are clearly politically trying to interfere with U.S. politics. Yeah. Let's uh, let's go ahead and move on over to the local stuff. Then we've got uh, a, a couple of things. One's also kind of a national story, so we'll start with that. Your guys' governor is running for president, Jay Inslee. He released an announcement video, uh, has Bill Nye in it. That's my favorite part of it. Uh, I mocked it relentlessly in the Facebook group. It has, I swear to God, every CRT television left in North America in the ads Uh, and at least half of the televisions featured the rotary dials that I haven't seen since I was like six so I it's weird and the logo is terrible the logo is the worst thing I've ever seen the the logo looks like he's running for student council president yeah it's, it's not great it's yeah it's not great I, I don't mind simplicity. You know, there's a lot to be said for that. The Obama O logo is wonderfully simple. Uh, it doesn't have to be fancy, but it looks tacky. I, I said it, it. It's like Word 97 clip art with a gradient applied from like green to blue across a, a circle. It's. Yeah. yeah, it's like something I would expect in an email from my grandpa. <laughs> now, on the other hand, if you want to talk about the actual content of the announcement video, I thought it was great. I thought it was wonderful. I, I thought he stated his case clearly. He is the climate change candidate. He has identified that as his lane in the race. That's what's going to get him votes. That's what's going to get him delegates. That's what's going to get him funding. That is who he is. Everybody else can have their thing. He is running solely focused on climate change. And good for him. Yeah, I mean, I I love that. I'm 
I'm very disappointed and dissuaded, you know, by what Ken's partner Jessica has said online, you know, about her impressions of him. Um, you know, because I, I take her opinion quite seriously in that matter. And she, what, she compared him to uh, a political candidate in a later season of Parks and Rec, who is essentially just like a robot of a person with zero personality. Like, I want... I want his cause, I want this cause to be so successful as this is often the thing that I'm blasting all over our Facebook page. Um, but I do really worry, given what she said about, you know, aside from the fact that nobody wants to do this thing anyway. So he's already got that going against him. But I definitely hope that it adds to more people's message because of the pressure that he causes. He's running on the carbon tax. Do you think anybody else adopts that? I would hope so. It's only something we've been talking about for 30 years. And he's been pushing it several times. So yeah, I was I mean, actually he's going tried to it a few times off. here. So like, I feel like, you know, we've got to hit a sweet spot moment at some point. I would, yeah. Oh, because it's just like it's barely like it only kind of helps. So I, I want to bring up that point, actually. He he tried and failed twice in Washington and he's trying again at an even bigger stage. I I don't know him that well. I, I don't watch him regularly. He's not governor of my state. I'm south of the border from you guys. Uh, but the fact that he is so focused on this makes me feel like this is an actual conviction for him and that makes me i don't want to discount anybody else's opinion and i don't know enough to really have my own but at a first blush that makes me feel he's sincere in his beliefs i guess uh, yeah i'm watching a little bit closer and i'm kind of inclined to agree i i mean it's a wide open field, but I have a hard time seeing him going into him going into this and thinking to himself, "Yeah, this is my year. This is my shot. This is my Democratic Party." I think it's got to be very much more about the issue and getting it front and center and getting attention for it. Maybe on some level, auditioning for a cabinet position or vice presidency, but I think it's really, yeah, it's about climate change. He's, this is something he's been pushing for you know the entirety of a second term and beyond he's really really this has been what he's been putting all his political capital on for the last you know three four years i mean which is which is good and i wish i wish that more candidates would do this this should be the baseline expectation of every candidate this shouldn't be like oh man he's really going out on a limb there like we have 10 years to unfuck ourselves we can't just shuffle some cards around. That's almost a direct quote from the announcement video. Minus yes. some profanity. Yeah, I mean, but it's that that's real. Like, we are approaching a position with this dilemma and this crisis that, in my opinion, like, if people don't take it seriously, that is very similar to just being a flat earther. Like, you're people who don't take this as a serious crisis and aren't at least advocating for some sort of change to beat it back. Like, 
you might as well fucking say the earth is flat. Like you just have given up on what reality looks like. And yeah, this should absolutely be the baseline of everybody who runs for the Democratic ticket. And I I hope that Inslee pulls everybody into that direction. And I really imagine he will. We've we've really seen the good ideas catch fire this year in a way that I don't think we've seen any other time. Yeah. I mean, and, and our generation is a lot more aware of this crisis and it's a lot more you know, salient for us because we're going to have to live through the beginning of it. Um, so I think, yeah, like a, as our demographic starts to vote more and perhaps becomes more consistently politically active, it's going to force that just kind of because where the voter pool is. One of Inslee's lines was that we're the first generation to be really impacted by climate change and we're the last generation that will be able to do anything. I just I thought that was wonderful. That's a great line for sure. Oh, that's that's a good quote. Um, and you know he is a Western governor. He will probably end up as Secretary of the Interior under somebody's administration that is typically is picked for that role. Uh, so yeah, I, I I think he'll be in a position to do something about it, and I do anticipate that he's going to drag the field along with this. I, I think we'll see a carbon tax be embraced by at least the, the majority of the front runners. Maybe not Biden, but yeah. Yeah, God, I'd hope even Biden would be able to stick his wrinkly neck out for that one. I, I, I think you'd be surprised how progressive he is, but he also comes from a very industrial town. Like no, for sure. Is, like, I know his heart's in it. Like, yeah. If, if it was his, you know, him and us over a beer, totally, he'd be all for it. But, but recognizing, yeah, exactly, like where, where his voting demographic and where his kind of political mindset comes from. That his is, people are factory workers. Like Scranton yeah. is a factory town. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think he'd want to do anything that would really imperil that sort of economy. And that's exactly who a carbon tax would really hit power plants and, and factories and smelters and whatnot, the things that are really generating the vast... I mean, for sure. I mean, it's the same problem in getting a carbon tax through Alaska. It's like, well, all the fucking money that isn't the state government is natural resource extraction, and they just routinely tell their workers that, like, any uptick in price means that everybody gets fired. They just terrorize their workers. It's so crazy. Uh, the other local story I want to bring up is that uh, we've talked about this a couple times as it worked its way through the legislature, but Oregon has become the first state in the country to enact statewide rent control. The bill was signed by Governor Brown uh, just the other day. Uh, it, it's kind of weak sauce, I'm not going to lie, um, but it did get buy-in from everybody. Uh, it, it was The final vote was not bipartisan although there were some defections from both sides. It wasn't overwhelming bipartisan. But the, the interest groups that really came together for this are, I, they were tenant groups, Portland Tenants Union was one of the, the big names behind it. There were developers, there were property management companies, there were uh, individual single family homeowners and community associations that came together. And really the whole swath of society that would be impacted by the housing situation 
got together and agreed to do something. And they, they paired it with some other legislation I talked about, a ballot measure that uh, allows local governments to invest in development projects without being sole owners of development projects, uh, which was also something that had been pushed by the same group and kind of had bipartisan buy-in, even if it wasn't from everybody. Uh, and we got it. It's, I believe, 7% annual increases plus inflation. Uh, it only applies to property that's at least, or uh, buildings that are at least 15 years old. Uh, and there are some exceptions, like if uh, the owner wants to move into his own property, he can evict somebody and just kick him out. But other than that, no cause evictions are severely curtailed, uh, a whole host of other things. Um, it's not anywhere near as strict as, you know, New York City rent control laws, which are the reasons there are still old grandmas paying $400 a month for, you know, low, lower Manhattan, you know, penthouses and whatnot. Mm-hmm. In the 70s. But it, it's something. Um, it was a contentious process. Uh, the legislature ended up disallowing any amendments to it. Uh, everybody was so scared that all the different groups that had bought into it were basically on a knife edge. And any little tweak to it could have just fucked the whole coalition. Uh, but in the end, it, it held together. They got it through the House first, then the Senate earlier this week, and then Governor Brown signed it, and we made history. First state in the, the country to do it. So, you know, take that, Washington. And we have to. Yep. Because you're right. I mean, yeah, that's that's a solid win. I mean, it is weak sauce, but it's still a solid win. Like, I really hope that, like, the Democratic Party in Oregon works really well with local government, city councils to, like, find ways to craft, you know, citywide, you know, municipal policies and get those through city council that'll kind of patch over some of the holes and be able to attend to the specific demands of each different area. Because, you know, the, the issues in Portland are going to be different from the issues in Salem in terms of rent. And what, so it makes sense that that should be more specifically tailored, but kind of using this as like a pressure valve release to be like, okay, the big boogeyman has been taken care of. Now you can make the smaller incremental steps to customize it to your area. And more to the, I, I guess the immediate point, it in, the coalition that they built ensures it goes into effect immediately. There's not going to be a major lawsuit. Like there aren't any industry groups that are opposing this with deep pockets who are going to, you know, tie this up in the court for the next four years. Everybody's bought in. This starts. Yeah, uh, and this, I mean, this starts in a few months. Because there's going to be no delay. Yeah, then renters don't have to be, you know, wait for two, three years, being like, oh yeah, what happened to that rent control thing that we were supposed to have? Oh, it's still in the courts. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I mean. Well, not idea, like the, the immediacy rather than the appeals process is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. There's probably, you know, a dude with a Chevy Tahoe truck and a duplex he rents out that might sue the state. But nobody has the sort of sustained money that's going to drag this to the Supreme Court or something when all the industry groups are you know, actually supportive of, of the bill. Nice. Yeah. Nobody's going to issue a stay for Joe Podunk, basically. 
and I guess that just about wraps it up. We are running five minutes over, so I'll, I'll cut out our usual, what are you guys following, and let everybody get to bed on this wonderful Saturday. Oh, I mean, before we do that, I we should mention that whole National Democratic Training Committee, because that is a really oh, cool thing. Actually, yes. Uh, like I, that that's an important thing that you posted about and I'm, I'm sad nobody got that I was uh, being satirical and making a joke I feel like people took <laughs> me seriously with that gift but uh, <laughs> okay then yeah um, I've actually signed up for the yeah, mailing this is list a really cool thing and I, I intend to submit an application when they open on March 11th but the, yeah, the I have done so as well the National uh, Democratic Party is organizing a basically a, a college for for campaigns um, people and they it's open to anybody but they are placing a special emphasis emphasis on getting uh, people of color women and non-binary individuals uh, which I, I thought was really cool and teach them next generation campaign tactics and strategies get them into a place where they can work on the ground uh, and place them with campaigns that need help across the country train up a, a young generation of activists who know how to win office, who know how to use the skills that they have uh, in, in the political sphere. And I finally, we are getting serious about this. Uh, and it, it is incredible to, to really think about what we could have done if this had been around for a while. It's the first focused effort I know of to, to really get at this. I don't believe the Republicans have anything like it. Um, I strongly encourage anybody who is at all on the fence about wanting to do this but don't think they have the abilities, um, or even if you're an old hand. I, I've worked half a dozen campaigns. I still want to go through this, and I, I want to learn more skills than I already have. I want to learn what the future is going to really be like. Uh, and. and just it helps you be a more effective operator in the political space and it, it's absolutely incredible jj if, if you want to go on more about it please do i mean I, I feel like you definitely hit all the high notes i mean you know as this is also something i've wanted to do and i've thought a lot about in my life uh but haven't ever been a part of a campaign and haven't really seen like an avenue of entrance for me in many respects. Like this is really big for me in that regard. I'm like, hey, you know, you go through this fucking class, you go through this process and they're like, yeah, we're gonna give you a job in a campaign. We're gonna put you to work. It's, it's also really neat as both like an academic and a very trade school approach at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I think is very, very interesting. Like, it's like, hey, we're gonna teach you this high, what highfalutin elitist <clears throat> shit, but then we're gonna get you a job and you're gonna fucking do the thing, uh, which I really, really love. I mean, fuck man, if only this had existed, you know, 12 years ago, 10 years ago, when I got out of graduate school or even out of college, like I might not have gone to graduate school even I'm glad that I did, but like, yeah, this is this is a huge, huge opportunity, um, and really cool. I think it opens up. I mean, the biggest thing that it does is it removes barriers for people who feel like outcasts from the system. You know, folks like me who don't really 
there are issues there. I have far fewer structural issues than a lot of the people that this is targeted for. So, like, for those folks, it's a huge open avenue where previously there were only gatekeepers. And that's a really big fundamental structural change. It's uh, offering 18 courses. Uh, a few of them are targeted at people who want to run for office. Make the decision, getting your campaign off the ground, building your network, donors, volunteers, and validators, making the ask, building your volunteer team. Then they have uh, other courses that are more for general campaign workers, budgeting and financial compliance, writing your fundraising plan, raising money for communications, crafting your message, writing your communications plan, digital 101, using personal stories to connect. For field training, calculating your vote goal, field tactics, Vote Builder 101. Vote Builder is the software the Democratic Party uses to track voters in the field. Uh, targeting voters and get out the vote. Uh, for campaign fundamentals, they're offering courses on earning union support, strategic scheduling, and campaign events. And like I said, uh, it, when you complete all 18 courses, they will act, actively work to place you with a campaign union. That's some good stuff. It, uh, it'll take about, they estimate it'll take about a week to go through. Uh, and if you pass all the, uh, the end of course test for everything and you're certified and all that, then you're, you're ready to go. Yeah, I really hope I make it through. I'd, it'd be really exciting. Yeah, it, well, it, it's it's all online, so you know you can take it at your your leisure. It consists of video lectures, uh, workshops, and then knowledge tests at the end of it. Yeah, it's fucking cool. It's fucking cool. <laughs> it's hella fucking cool. I I'm really excited to see where this leads, uh, and. One of the other things that I, I think it'll help with, when they place candidates in the field, not everybody is going to like a senator campaign. You probably don't have the knowledge for that right away. But there are on the ground local races that matter, that actually craft policy, that change people's lives for the better. And many of them are drastically understaffed. Having somebody to come help with your city council campaign or your campaign for municipal utility district to fix the viaduct that's been leaking water and draining, uh, causing a drought over the last three years or whatever. These things matter in people's lives and they need help. And I think this is great. Yeah. And it gets young people invested in public, you know, in public policy and civil policy. Get people invested in any community. Just fucking get us somewhere. Also, we need decent paying jobs. <laughs> yeah. And so there's that part where, you know, this definitely helps some of the economic crunch for our generation. The, the whole course was put together by an impressive array of, of different groups. Uh, they talk about they're proudly collaborative, not competitive. Citizen She United is one of the groups, the American Leaders Action Fund, Democracy Labs, and Citizens United, Emily's List, the Urban Alliance, Cook County Democratic Party, Chicago Votes Action Fund, Latino Victory Fund, Alabama Democratic Party, the Mississippi Democratic Party, Resistance Labs, First Ask, Democracy for America, the Blue Institute, just a, a who's who 
all of the state parties are in there. The Maryland Democratic Party, the yeah, Democratic yeah. Party, Iowa Democratic Party, California, everybody. Washington's in there, Arkansas, Delaware. It's it's the entire party has got together to produce this. It is incredible. I mean, and you know, the last week is like an expense paid trip to Chicago. I mean, you're probably gonna meet the Obamas. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> Yeah, or at I, least see them speak. Like okay. they're definitely speaking. Even the unions have, have bought in. The AFSCME has helped put this together. Uh, they were responsible for the the course about getting union uh, buy-in on your campaign. Yeah. So everybody should sign up. Everybody should, you know, get into this. I, I cannot say that enough. And I'll stop talking, guys. But it was an important plug. <laughs> oh, it really was. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. Okay. Have All a great right. night. Take it easy, guys. All right. Night, Later, bro.